Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, Uncensored. This morning, Terrence Green refreshes our minds with Jesus' words, Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. We're reminded that money is the number one competition for our hearts, and that nothing we have will ever bring us joy. That can only be found in Jesus. Listen as Terrence shares with us some pointers for handling the resources God has given us and as he challenges us to strive for more God. All right, have a seat. Man, I, I, I normally, when I speak, I normally don't sit in for worship. I'm somewhere off studying. Man, give it up for the band one more time. The worship today was absolutely phenomenal. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. All right, the story is told of a girl who regretted breaking her engagement and wrote this letter. Dearest Tommy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please, please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. Then she included, P.S., and congratulations on winning $2.4 million last week in the lottery. I ain't saying she's a gold digger. So my wife asked me what we were going to talk about today, and I said we're going to talk about money. And she laughed at me. I said, no, really, what are you talking about? I said, no, we're, we're talking about money, how to have a proper uh, perspective on money, on what God gives you. And she said, you're speaking on that? And I said... Yes, I am, because my wife knows that I am absolutely terrible with money, terrible with money. But I got to tell you that over the course of this study, I've seen that not only me, but us as a church, we really need to change the way that we look at money, the way that we, the perspective we have on how we manage the stuff, the stuff that God has given us to manage. We have to have a proper view. So before, before we get further in, Um, I know that if I was in your place, I would hear me say that and say, I don't have to worry about that because I really don't have much money. I'm not rich. I'm not like these people that you see that are spending, you know, millions of dollars on jets. You know, I'm I'm basically making it from paycheck to paycheck. So you're not speaking to me, but I want to tell you that I am speaking to you because if you're in this room right now, you are among the richest people in the world. You really are. And, and it's, it's hard to understand this. I'm going to go a little a step further. That if you are a homeless person in America, you are still among some of the richest people in the world. But it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. I want to tell you that if you have food in your refrigerator, if you have clothes on your back, if you have a roof over your head, if you have a place to sleep at night, you're richer than 75% of the people in this world. If you have any money in the bank, if you have any money in your wallet, if you have any spare change in a dish somewhere in your house, you're among the top 8% wealthiest people in the world. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than a million people that will not survive this week because of lack of food. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, if you've never experienced the loneliness of imprisonment, if you've never experienced the agony of being tortured, 
If you've never experienced the pangs of starvation, you're ahead of 500 million people in this world right now. And I got to tell you, the fact that you can attend a church meeting without fear of being harassed, without fear of being arrested, without fear of torture or even death, you're more blessed than 3 billion people in the world this morning. We need to change our perspective. Now, I don't say that to make us feel guilty. We should be so grateful to God that he has blessed us to be, to be in a country where we are free to do these things, where we're blessed beyond measure. But because of that fact, because of the fact that we live in this country, because of the fact that God has given us so much, he expects more from us. He expects us to properly handle and manage the resources that he has given us. So I, I want to I, I remind you guys, in Matthew 13, uh, there's a parable of, a, of uh, the sower. The parable of the sower. And the parable starts with the sower going out and tossing seeds and tossing seeds and tossing seeds. And some of the seeds fall in a place that when they start growing, they start growing and start sprouting up. And then, as Jesus says, the deceitfulness of riches come and choke out the life. What he's literally saying is the deceitfulness of riches. Sometimes the stuff that we have gets in the way of our spiritual growth and it begins to choke it out. The deceitfulness of riches because of what we expect this money can do for us. Now, I, I'm going to share an example. I'm going to share a little illustration for you guys. Now, I have three kids. I have uh, Jack, who's six, Tommy, who's four, and Francis, we call her baby Frankie, who's two years old. Now, my six and my four-year-old love to go to, in my opinion, one of the worst places that has ever been created, and this place is called Chuck E. Cheese, all right? <laughs> literally, literally, anytime we drive by it, anytime we drive by it on the freeway, anytime they see that stupid purple mouse rat thing, they say, Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese, and they want to go, right? And every once in a while, like once a year, I say, okay, you know what? Let's go to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, they don't want to go to Chuck E. Cheese for the pizza. You know that. You know that's not the best part of Chuck E. Cheese, right? What's the best part of Chuck E. Cheese? The games, right? It's what happens after the pizza. So they say, I want to play this game. I want to play this game. So you take like $500 out, get, get tickets for them, and they go. Because if you play the games right, you get tickets. And if you get enough tickets, you get a good prize, right? So you'll, I'll, I'll watch my four-year-old, and he's playing skee-ball, and he's playing skee-ball, and he keeps hitting it in the 10-point thing. And so I push him out of the way because he doesn't know what he's doing, right? And so I keep going, and I'm getting 1,000. I'm getting 1,000 over and over again. And I get the tickets out, and we have like 2,000 tickets. We're like, we're going to get something great. So we go up to the counter. We say, these are all the tickets that we have. What can we get? And then they give me a little dinosaur. 500 bucks, 2,000 tickets for a dinosaur. But you know what happens? We quickly, we quickly forget about that. And the next time we go, we say, you know what? I'm going to get enough tickets. I'm going to get enough tickets that I'm going to finally get that thing that really is awesome and really satisfies me. Now watch. As you get older, the tickets become different and the prizes become different. The tickets are no longer those little paper things. These are your tickets. And when you look at your account, you say, I have this number of tickets I'm going to get something really great, like a new boat, or maybe a new car, maybe a new house, maybe something that will really, really satisfy me. But the problem is, you never feel secure enough, you never feel happy enough with the stuff that these tickets buy you, because in the grand scheme of life, they're like a little dinosaur. 
when you have someone that you love who gets really sick, you realize that these tickets cannot buy your way out of that. You realize that. When you have someone that you really love that's going down the wrong road, you realize that those tickets can't buy you out of that. You realize that these tickets will not keep your kids off of drugs. You realize that these tickets will not bring harmony to your family because the tickets promise so much more than they can actually deliver. They promise so much more than they can actually deliver. You know, I, I want to I look at something. I want to look at the way that Jesus said this in Matthew. In, uh, Matthew, let's put it up there. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In, order, in other words, do not take your tickets and use your tickets to buy things that you think will make you happy now. Do not store, store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the key. For where your treasure is, whether it be in things here or whether it be in things in heaven, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in verse 24, he nails it. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. And I, I want to say that it's strange to me that he words it that way because he does not say you cannot serve both God and power. He doesn't say you cannot serve both God and position. He doesn't even say you can't serve both God and the devil. He says you cannot serve both God and and money. And I wonder why he says that. And I realize that Jesus is smart enough to know that in many of our lives, our money is going to be the number one competitor for our heart. We're going to put our value and how much we have, our value and how much we make, our value and what our title is. Money is going to be the number one competitor for our heart because of what it promises to us. And this is what money promises. Money promises you joy. Money promises you security. It promises you joy. You think that if I had just a little bit more in my stack, I could get those things that will really make me happy. If I had a little bit more in my stack, you know, for me, honestly, I'm a camper. I love camping. If I had a little bit more in my stack, I could get that big diesel truck and get that fifth wheel trailer and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's what's going to make me happy. For some of you, you're saying, you know what, if I had just a little bit more money, I could get that bigger house that I don't necessarily need, but it will be, make me happy. If I had a little bit more money, I could get the shoes that matches the purse, that matches the dress, that matches the sweater that I found for 50% off. That's what happens. Because we think that if we have a little bit more money, that we'll actually have more joy and more happiness. And honestly, it's not, it's not always true. Some of you are teenagers and you're thinking, if I, 
If I didn't have this piece of junk phone and my parent would actually buy me the newest phone, then I'd be popular and I can get a date to prom, but they won't buy it for me. So now I'm going to be homeless or I'm going to live with them for the rest of my life. And you go to these extremes because you think that if you had enough, if you had money, if you had this, it's going to bring you joy. But I want you to know that nothing that you ever have, nothing that you ever possess will ever bring you joy. Joy is found alone in Jesus. Amen. It is found alone in Jesus. And so the more and the more and the more you get, the more and the more and the more you're going to want because you're not looking for joy in the right place. It also builds you, it also promises you security. If I had enough, if I had a little bit more of a nest egg, if I could just pay off my debt, if I only made twice as much as what I make right now, I'd be secure. But the truth is, our security is not found in things. Our security is found in who God is, in his very nature, in his very character. Now, most of you are tuned out right now, and that's fine. I understand. Because you still don't think that it applies to you. But I got to tell you, if you ever bought something that you don't need, with money you don't have, to impress people that you don't even like, you're probably under the power of money. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to hit this hard because some of this, mo- all of this, I'm preaching to myself right now, right? All of this actually applies to me. If you've ever been at a point where you said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to illegally download this, this music because I don't want to pay for it. I'm going to illegally download this video because I don't want to pay for it. If you've ever been that parent that tells your three-year-old, you're three years old unless we're at Disneyland and then you're two because you'll be free, then maybe you're, I actually have friends. I have friends. I'm not going to say they go to this church, but they go to this church who have told their three-year-old, their three-year-old was able to recite this at three. I'm three years old unless I'm at Disneyland and then I'm two. There is a problem because you're trying, you're, you're trying to hoard this money because you think that it's going to make you secure, that it's actually going to work for you, but it's not. If you've ever compromised your family and worked more than you should, even more than you have to to make it, because you're trying to provide, but you're actually neglecting the people that you love the most, then you might be under the power of money. So what's happening? Money is becoming a false god for a lot of us. It's becoming the thing that we chase after. It becomes a thing that we want because of what it promises to us and what it can get for us. So how do we overcome this? How do we overcome this? The first step to overcoming this, to overcoming materialism, to overcoming this greed, is to act your wage. Act your wage. That's how Proverbs says it. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. It also says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. Now, in our country, we basically, people say we have two groups. We have the haves and we have the have-nots. Well, there's actually a third group, which is the I have, but I haven't paid it off yet. And in our country, it used to not be like that. Now, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to talk about a certain group of people. I'm not going to call them millennials because millennials get very offended when you call them millennials. But we're talking about millennials, all right? So, sorry, sorry, guys. Sorry, front row. Sorry, front row. We're talking about millennials right now, where you have a group of people that are in their 30s or so, and they feel as though it is their right to live the same lifestyle that their parents are living. 
not realizing that it may have taken their parents 30 plus years to get to the point where they are at, where they have the nice cars and they have the nice house. But as, but for a lot of people, they feel as though it's their right right now where I am. It's my right to live the same way that my parents are living. And so what they do is they go in debt to live that way. They are literally servants to the lender. Now, a lot of us are asking the wrong question about our purchases, about stuff that we do. And we ask, how much money is down is this going to be? Or how much is this going to cost? But the real question is, how much is this going to cost relationally? Think about it. I want you guys real quick to just go over your, your line items in your budget. How many of those things are preventing you from doing opportunities that you want to do? For instance, I can't really give to the church the way I want to give because of this vehicle and because of how much I'm paying for my house. For some of you, how much are the things that you're paying off every month preventing you from giving your kids opportunities that they should be able to have? For some of you, how many of you, and I'm going to go right back to it, are working way too hard because you have to pay for stuff that you really don't need? The cost is so much bigger, and we become people who are in bondage, and we become, become pretenders, pretending to be rich, but when you really look at it, we have nothing. Now, nowadays in our, in our country, debt is normal. Debt is normal. We just expect it. But let's turn back the clock almost 100 years. In 1929, in our country, only 2% of homes in this country had a mortgage against them. That's insane. 40 years later, in 1969, only 2% of homes did not have a mortgage against them. And it shows how quickly our mindset changes to get to the point where we really feel as though we need stuff. So I'm going to put something up here. I hate to do in this slide because it kind of hit home. Let's put the next slide up there. Let's talk about credit card debt. The average credit card debt for, for an American is $8,580. That made my heart hurt, all right? $8,580. Now, if you have a 19% or so interest rate on it, and you pay for 40 years, minimum payments for 40 years, after 40 years, you have paid off $8,580. Now, if we would do what our grandparents taught us, which is save money, I went to a funeral of a, of a, a guy that I, I loved for all intents and purposes. This guy was my grandpa growing up. This guy was loaded. He had a ton of money, and he was the same guy that sometimes looked like he was homeless because he was rummaging through trash cans for aluminum bottles. And that was his spending money. It's what he got from that. So if we saved and scrimped and saved and scrimped and saved and saved the same amount that some of us owe on our credit card and invested it just with 11%, we'd have $750,000 after the end of the same 40 years. Some of us, honestly, we're letting our money go, just go crazy. And we need to think about our money as if it's a pet. And we need to train our money. Now, some of you are cat people, and you're like, I, I don't, do you train pets? No, you can't train cats, all right? I'm a cat person now because I have a cat. We wanted a, a, a grown cat to go into our garage to help with a, mice, a mouse problem. And we have a baby kitten who rubs its fur against my eyes in the middle of the night, right? I know you can't train a cat. You can kick a cat, but you can't train a cat, right? Think about your money as if it's a dog. Now, you have two different kinds of dogs. You have the dogs that when you say sit, it sits. When you say fetch, it fetches. You, you have the dogs that are trained. And then you have the dogs that everyone hates. 
the ones that jump on you right when you walk into the house, the ones that go everywhere, the ones that try to treat you as if you're a female dog. You know what I mean, right? The ones that are lashed onto your leg a little bit too much and a little bit too long. A lot of us, our money is like that, where it's going crazy because we've done nothing to train it to do what we want it to do. Think about your money in a different way. Train it to do what you want it to do. But there's also changes that we need to make. Hold on. This is going to get rough. The first one is embrace self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. What, what it's actually saying is that if you have no self-control when it comes to your money, you are susceptible to anything that comes your way. You are basically like that kid in Toys R Us who throws a fit because they want that new G.I. Joe figure. And finally, your mom or dad says, look, if you just behave, I'll give you what you want. A lot of us have never grown out of that. I really, really want that, that new thing. I really, really want that new thing that I don't need. I really, really want that new thing. And then we spend money that we don't even have to spend. We may have it and it's fine, but we don't have to spend it on this thing because we've never learned to have self-control. Do you really, do you really need to go golfing twice a week? No, you don't. You might have the money for it, but you don't need to do that. Do you really need to go out and buy a bigger house when you don't need it? No, you don't have to do it. Ladies, do you really need to get a pedicure every single week? Yes, probably. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we'll draw the line there. That's okay. But it really comes down to self-control being at the point where you can say, you know what? This might be a good thing, but is it the right thing right now? And a lot of us have never done that. We've never put up those walls and we're like a city whose walls are completely destroyed and we are throwing money at all the new things because we can. Let me just, let me just offer something because I really want to be serious for here for a second because this is, this is where it got to me. I don't know if I ever need to go out and buy a new car anymore. Because as soon as I drive it off the lot, it depreciates 20%. I don't know if I need to, to purchase a, a house that's way too big for me. I don't know if I need to do that. I'm, I'm not sure if these are actually the right way for me to use God's resources. I, I, I don't know. But I want, um, I want to offer something to you guys. And I'll tell you a story from what happened to me. Uh, my wife sent me to Target the other day. Now, for those of you who have been here for a while, you've heard that Target is my least favorite place in the world. Not because of what they have there, but mostly because of, of who's there. Sorry, but who's there? Because there's always someone from Bay Hills that's there. And, and it's weird is because, like, for me, Target's where I go where I want to just walk around and maybe relax. But it's like for everyone else, Target is where they go when they need therapy. And so, and so I'm there at Target, and this person walks up. And they're like, Terrence, this is going on, and this is going on. And can you pray for me? And I'm praying for them. And before I know it, there's a line of people that want me to pray for them. And it's absolutely insane. So I'm, I'm in Target. And there's been one thing that I've really wanted for a while because the one I have is pretty junky. And I walk down an aisle and I see a sign that says, 50% off today, brand new grill. Look what the Lord hath provided. 
His light has shone down upon the grill. And if I get a Target credit card, I can save even more money. No! Grab that little kid in you and tell him to shut up! No, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. And so I'm going to show you what I have adopted, and I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you'd be brave enough to try to adopt this, the same thing. Let's put it up there. If you're going to buy something, now I'm not going to say food. I don't want you to say, hey, little Billy and little Timmy, I know you guys are hungry, but Terrence said I have to pray before I spend money on food for you. No, don't go to that extreme. But if you're buying something and it's not something that is a need, it's something that is a want and it's less than $100, I want you to pray for it for one day. Close the Amazon link. Walk out of the store if you need to and pray for it for one day and say, God, thank you so much that you've blessed me to be in a position where I can afford this. God, let me know if you want me to buy it. Is this the best thing for me to do with the resources that you've given me? If it's something that's $100 to $1,000, pray for one week. Say, God, you know, this is a little bit more. This is going to maybe stretch us financially. It's something that I really want. God, I'm going to take a week to think about it, and I'm going to come back to it in a week if you say it's okay. Something more than $1,000, pray for a month. And get people that you know that love Jesus to pray with you. And, and see, God, is this really, did you put me in a position to be able to afford this? Or am I, am I in a position to afford this, but this is really not what you have for me? God, show me what to do. Now, this is difficult. I know it's difficult, but this whole thing is self-control. It's difficult. If it wasn't difficult, then God wouldn't ask us to do it. He doesn't just ask us to do what's easy. He asks us to do what's beneficial for us. Embrace self-control. Embrace sacrifice. Embrace sacrifice. Sometimes you really have to give up what is good to get what's better. And for some of us right now, we're still paying off Christmas gifts from last year. Look, you have about four months now between here and Christmas. And I'm going to ask you guys a tough question. And I've been thinking about it myself. What is it that you can give up for four months so that you come out of Christmas debt free? So that you don't have to charge something and become a slave to the, to the lender again. You know, some of us have already cut cable. Maybe that's something that you have to do. Maybe you don't need the NFL package. You're a 49ers fan. Why do you need to watch every 49ers game? They're going to lose, all right? Just cut the package. Sorry. 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 Go Raiders. Um, just cut the, cut the package. You know, maybe you don't need to have Starbucks every single morning on the way to work. I don't know what it is for you, but at some point you have to say, you know what? I really do not want to continue to be a slave to the people I'm borrowing money from. So maybe something needs to give. You know, maybe you're someone who shops at Macy's and maybe you need to shop somewhere else. There's a, a little French boutique called Target. Maybe you should go there. <laughs> Try that. Le Walmart. Try that out. Maybe, maybe you just need to change what your taste is and say, even though I can afford this because I want something better, I'm willing to sacrifice. Number one, act your wage. Number two, Give first, give often. You guys notice that we had the offering before the sermon, right? We're never going to be a church that are going to, that's going to guilt you into giving. We will never do that. Your giving is about you and your relationship with God, but we're never going to guilt you into that position. Give first, give often. Proverbs says a generous person will prosper. Second Corinthians, you'll be enriched in every way 
so that you can be generous on every occasion. There's a story told of a mother who gave her little girl a quarter and a dollar before church. The mom said, put whichever one you want in the collection plate and keep the other for yourself. Well, when they were coming out of church, the mother asked the daughter which amount she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar. But just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot cheerfuler if I uh, had the quarter for my if I had the dollar for myself. So I gave God the, the dollar and now I'm cheerful. Now, the problem is. When we get to the offering, this is really sad. And I'm, I'm, as Christians, we are commanded to give. Statistically, 2% of us give. 2%. Of that 2%, most of us give fewer than 3% of our income. Now, a tithe is giving God. 10% of what we have. But it's honestly giving God back 10% of what he's given us. It's already his. But for a lot of us, we are trading the blessings that God wants to give us for stuff, for things, and for security. There was a trade that happened in baseball. It was December 26, 1919. It was a trade between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. And the Boston Red Sox they traded this left-handed 24-year-old pitcher to the Yankees for $25,000. And they thought it was a great trade, except for everything that happened afterwards. Because this left-handed pitcher became a left-handed slugger who hit 714 home runs in the course of his year and put a curse on the Red Sox called the Curse of the Great Bambino. Babe Ruth was involved in one of the worst trades that has ever happened in, ba- in sports history. Because of the trade that the Boston Red Sox made, it was another 85 years before they won the World Series. That's a bad trade, but this is what a, a worse trade. Every week, some of us walk into this room and we literally trade God's blessings for false security. I want you to see this and I want you to understand this. It's better to have 90%. It's better to have 90%. We'll get to that in a second. It's better to have 90% with God's blessing than have 100% without it. This is what he says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. It's the only time in the Bible where God says, test me. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. You know, God is literally saying, you give me 10%, you keep your 90% and I will bless it. You keep your 100% that you think you have, see what happens, test me. Just test me in this. That number 10, that 10%, the number 10 in the Bible repeatedly comes up every time God is testing. So I want to, I want to do something with you guys. And I want you to know that all the answers to this is 10, okay? When I ask you a question, the answer is 10. So, how many times, how many, um, so, par- oh, sorry, sorry. <clears throat> I need to get a drink real quick. So, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart in the Bible? Ten. 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 For people that said five, the answer is ten to everything, okay? How many, God, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart in the Bible? Ten. In Matthew, how many virgins were tested to see if they were prepared? Ten. 
Okay, how many disciples were there? Ten. Twelve. You guys aren't paying attention. <laughs> Twelve disciples. Ten, 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 ten. Multiple times when we hear the number ten, it's God testing us, saying, are you going to be someone who takes care of what I give? Are you going to be someone who gives back? You know, I got to tell you, um, I've been married for 15 years. My wife and I are in a better position financially right now than we were when we got married. But when we got married, I got to tell you that we had a conversation and we decided that, yes, we were going to tithe. We were going to decide that every month we were going to take 10% of what we got and give to God. And honestly, when we first got married, it wasn't that much, but it was still difficult. I can't tell you how many types of top ramen I can make because that's all we had to eat at the point because we were tithing. But I also got to tell you that over the course of this 15 years of us tithing, I have seen God come through for us in ways I never could have imagined. I've, I've been sitting down with my wife and she's saying, you know, I don't know how we're going to make rent. And then all of a sudden, there's literally a check in our mailbox for what we need for rent, just from a random person. I've had people come up to me at that point and say, you know what? Um, God's telling me that you need this and just give us cash to cover our needs. Now, sometimes, yes, he takes care of our wants, but God in that entire time has never, ever neglected to take care of our needs. And I want to tell you guys that giving is not, God, God doesn't necessarily need your money. Do we need money to keep things around here running? Yeah. We need to pay salaries. They'd probably get mad if we didn't do that. We need to keep the lights going. We need to do things like that. But it's not about you simply giving your money to God. It honestly is about you changing your heart and your perspective on what you have. So I'm going to ask you guys to do something as well, to say, you know what, for the next three months, maybe we don't need to go on the most fancy vacations. Maybe we don't have to drink Starbucks every day, do this or that. I'm going to challenge you guys to do something that I I call the three-month challenge. Three months, you give to God faithfully. 10% off the top. Give God your best your first and best so he can, he can deal with the rest, all right? Give him your first 10%. Give it back to him for three months. If at the end of those three months, God has not taken care of your needs, I was going to say I'll check with Pastor Dave. I'm on the board of directors, so I'm going to make this decision. If God has not taken care of your needs at the end of those three months, we'll give you all your money back. That is how confident I am in the God that we serve, that he will take care of people that are faithful to him. For three months, give God the first 10%. Give it to him. Deal with the rest. If you want to save some, if you want to use 80% of it to live off of, whatever it is, but give God 10%. And if he is not coming coming through for you, if he's not taking care of your needs, we'll give you back every dime. But if God does take care of your needs, please tell us what he's done for you. Strengthen my faith, strengthen the faith of the people around here. If you want to have a, a faith video, do something because your faith is strengthened when you hear about not only what God's doing in your life, but what he's doing in the life of other people. All right, let's bring this plane in. At your wage, give first and give often. The last one is strive for more God. Strive for more God. Better is a little with fear of the Lord than great worth, great wealth with turmoil. Some of us are thinking that if we just had a little bit more, we'd be happy. And I want to tell you that the more money you have, the more problems you'll have. 
or as the great philosopher Biggie Small said, mo money, mo problems, right? <laughs> you see that all the time where people start getting wealth and this person said, hey, I was your next door neighbor's roommate for four years. Can I get a loan? It doesn't work that way. You don't just hoard. People come and start grabbing and grabbing and grabbing from you. Because it's not, it, wealth is not what's going to make you secure. Wealth is not what we need to strive for. We need to strive for more God. Now in Matthew 6, it talks about slavery. And in our, our, West, our Western way of thinking, when we think of slavery, a lot of times we think about what happened in this country, what's happened in countries around the world, where it's something where someone is forcibly uh, taken into captivity and they're, they're made to work against their will. But biblical slavery was not like that. This is what biblical slavery was. Someone would have a massive debt. They'd owe, let's just, let's just say, just to, 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 to put it in numbers, let's say $10 million. Someone owed $10 million. Now, the majority of people would never, ever be, will, be able to pay that debt back. And so what they would do is they would find someone who's really rich and say, if you pay for my debt, I will forever be indebted to you. I will be your slave. I will be your servant. I'm going to say this again. Someone has a debt that they can never pay back. And they go to someone who is willing to pay that debt. And they say, because of the fact that you paid that debt, I am forever yours. Does it sound familiar? This is literally what Jesus did. On the cross... Is written that Jesus says, it is finished. But the word that he used there is tetelestai. And that word literally means paid in full. When he died on that cross, your sin, the debt of your sin, was completely paid in full. And because of that, we are completely and utterly indebted to him forever. Who else can we be shackled to at this point? Because of what he's done, who else can we serve? And Jesus says, some of you are still going to serve money. Some of you, of you are going to know the sacrifice that I made and believe in the sacrifice that I made. But at the same time, you're just spending all the resources that I give you and you're now owing a, a debt you could never repay to me and a debt you could never repay to a lender. And God's saying, you got you to gotta break that. You got to choose what you're going to go after. Are you going to go after what, what I promise you, the joy, the peace, literally the peace that surpasses all understanding? Are you going to go after that? Or are you going to go after the stuff that money is lying to you about? You know, I've, I've realized in my, in my life that peace of heart is way better than money in the bank. Peace of heart is better than money in the bank. Because when I'm, I'm going through something that is, that hurts, something that confuses me, something I don't have the answers to, I've never found the answer in money. I've never found the lasting joy in money. I've never found the peace in money. I've never found the hope in money. I've only found it in Jesus. And so I want to tell you, I want to challenge you today. If you're, if, if you're someone who's thinking, if I just had a little bit more of this, I'd be happy. I'm telling you, if you'd have a little bit more of Jesus, you'd be happy.
Some of us, we need to act our wage. We need to go home. Man, this is going to be recorded, so my wife's going to be able to hold this against me. We need to create a budget. We need to stick to a budget. Some of us, we need to give first and give often and take the three-month challenge of just giving God back the first 10%. Some of us, we really need to strive for more God. We don't have peace in our heart because we're not going after the right thing. I want to pray for us. Why don't you stand with, with me? I'll pray and I'll release you guys. Release you guys. I'll let you guys go. It's funny. That's how I feel like sometimes when I'm up here. It's okay. It's over. Um, I want to tell you that sometimes when you, when you come to church, you're not expecting to hear something like this. I'm not going to set a budget for you guys. I'm not going to do that. But what I, what I will do and challenge you guys to do is just to make sure that when God goes over your items that you spend money on, just make sure he's happy with it. That's it. God, I thank you so much for today. God, I, I, I agree with, with Pastor Dave, Lord. I want to pray for the climate of our country, the climate of our world right now, Lord. I pray that um, it's said that the only thing that causes evil to triumph is when good men and good women do nothing. So God, as, as we go out, I pray that we are literally your light to this, to this world, Lord, that we are showing people your love and who you are, Lord. God, I pray right now that you help us just move past the deceitfulness of riches, Lord, the things that money promises us that, um, that are completely untrue. God, that we find our truth, we find our value, we find our hope, our peace, and our life in who you are and what your son has done for us, Lord. I thank you. I praise you in your son's name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.